What's going on, everybody? It's that time again. The All Sooners Podcast, episode 180 on this Tuesday, March 28th, 2023. Josh Callaway in Oklahoma City, Ryan Chapman and more, John Hoover in Tulsa. Gentlemen, how are we doing? Bouncing back from a long day yesterday, aren't we? Yeah. A little, uh, yeah. A little low on energy, I think. We'll try to pick that up during the podcast. Wow. Well, it- no one look on the horizon. Is Wednesday going to be a big day? Heading into a weekend of football, big softball series, all that stuff. It uh, we're up and running once again, full, fully into the swing of things. We've uh, yeah, we've officially hit the blender uh, right now with yeah, spring football, and then obviously the diamond sports are playing all the time, and uh, pro day mix in there, which is usually much earlier in March. Didn't need that toss into the the mix, but it is uh, coming up on Thursday. We'll preview that uh, a little bit here coming up. Lots going on right now, though. Um, it feels like uh, the season a little bit with hoof up and down, back and forth, and, and things like that. But um, good stuff coming from from OU spring camp, and we have a lot to uh, dive into over the last you know uh, week or so since our last show. We are recording a day early today. Ryan busy tomorrow, and then uh, like we said, there's pro day coming up on Thursday. So we said let's hit it a day early. So here we are on a special Tuesday edition of the podcast. Feels a little weird. It's going to mess me up probably all week. Every time we don't do the podcast on a Wednesday, I'm thrown off the entire week. Like it just messes me up. But uh, we press on. We press on. So like I said, spring camp is in full swing. We're in the midst of week two now for uh, spring football for Oklahoma. Last week we got to talk about the very beginning of spring, Brent Venables, you know, meeting the media to introduce everybody and all that good stuff. And then we had that first open practice, got to talk to coordinators. Since then, we talked to several more players at Everest last week. And then we got to go to practice again yesterday and talk to more players and coaches. So we've had a lot going on since the last show. We'll recap it for you now. What stood out over the last uh, week or so? You can start anywhere you want. You got the scrimmage that happened on Saturday as well. We weren't able to be there for that. Um, not open to the public. But a lot's been going on the last you know week or so. Um, assistant coaches, players, what would have been some things that have jumped out to you guys? Yeah, so we've been averaging like I think seven or eight per night after practice uh, interview-wise. And, right. Uh, we got all that content for you, all the interviews, all the stories. But it's, uh, it's, it's crazy how much uh, content there uh, Mike Houck and his team are enabling us to produce. And this is all, of course, from Brent Venable saying, yeah, let's open the practice. Yeah, he wanted to open Saturday scrimmage to, uh, to a local media. And I, I got the te- text message about two little, bo- little more than two hours before saying, can, basically, can you be here in two hours? And then there was a, because of all the recruits that were in town, we'll talk about this more later. Uh, it was kind of a, oh, we probably shouldn't have the media here if we're going to have that many recruits. So little, uh, little interesting uh, situation going on with the football team uh, yeah. Saturday with all that scrimmaging. But I'll just, I'll just help you out with when you say what stood out to me. Um, we got to watch for almost it was an hour yesterday, uh, practice for an hour, because it was scheduled for 40 minutes. Then it was cut back to about 35. Then they came out yeah. and said, we're going to go about another 15. So it was about an hour we got to watch practice, which is unprecedented. I haven't done that at Oklahoma since, I want to say, 2005, when they had the big quarterback competition. Uh, that was fun. Um, but one of the things that stood out to me was uh, we got to watch uh, the linebackers. It was interesting the way Brent 
has uh, has kind of structured the linebacker practice. They're dropping in coverage, and then they have somebody throw a football, and they basically do a pick drill. So you see this a massive, enormous skyscraper, Desan McCulloch. 6'5", 6'6", maybe, at linebacker as an edge rusher, but he's also playing with the rest of the linebackers. He's going up like Wilt Chamberlain or something, man. Going up, in not necessarily in traffic, but just higher. You could see him elevate higher than anybody else to get the football. And then the very next drill they do, they bring him over and put him in the corner where these uh, blocking sleds are. Okay, so these Mm -hmm. blocks, I'm going to do some on the YouTube here. I'm going to do some visuals. The linebackers, they go straight from intercepting passes to explosive contact, push the knock the crap out of this this blocking sled. The blocking sled is anchored, though. Okay, so it's kind of up against a wall. Josh got some really good video of it, so you need to check that out at our website. But guys are doing this uh, explosion drill where they're hitting these bags and lifting them up, and then they go to the next one and hit them and lift them up, and they explode through. The Son McCulloch is extremely raw. He gets up to the first one. He grabs it and lifts it up where everybody else is hitting it and, and smashing it up in a in kind of a one motion. The son is grabbing it, the dummy, the blocking sled dummy, and lifting it with his arms. And they had to stop the drill like three times to say, no, no, we want you to smash through it, hit it, explode through it, drive through it. And he just kept grabbing it and lifting it up. So that kind of illustrates, number one, how, what unbelievable raw athletic ability the kid has, okay, to be able to grab this thing and then lift it up like it's just a, a little arm pad or something. Number two, it illustrates how raw he is and how maybe he hasn't been playing on the line of scrimmage or doing a lot of line of scrimmage drills in his time at Indiana. So just a small, probably too long of a description, but a small illustration of something that I saw yesterday that stood out about how athletic, unbelievably explosive this kid is. Josh, I've obviously not been at, at practice, so before we kind of dive into some of the interview part, part of that, what else have you kind of seen as, as you've been bounced around to basically every group through these practices? Yeah, you know, I mean, from practice yesterday, definitely uh, I agree with with who. I mean, Desan McCullough, he stands out. Him and PJ both uh, at Abore stand out. You know, they, they you know, they, they're just not normal um, in a good way. Um, that they, their length, and, you know, McCullough too, there was one time where they were doing a drill. It didn't actually have a ball. It was like a balls over there. Everybody swarmed to the ball type of thing where he really was on the opposite side and he got to really get revved up and like run legitimately run. He can move. I mean, he is fast. He, he can really, he, he, he can cover some ground. So that, that's certainly something that uh, is going to be fun to watch as we go. I continue to be impressed with Reggie Pearson. I mentioned that last week, just the way that he, gets off blocks and things like that. It's a lot of fun. But yesterday, obviously, in practice, the bet, I mean, who, who agree? We got to see the W drill again, which we got to see a lot last year, which is basically kind of like an Oklahoma drill. If you haven't seen it, I got some clips of it in the practice video there. Just the physicality. And, I mean, everybody's talking about, of course, the Billy Bowman, Drake Stoops skirmish um, as those two just got, got after it. I was thinking, like, this could be on pay-per-view, basically, these two guys. Just absolutely going to war. And that's the best part about those is that you get behind and that that matchup, that's the one that we can see the best, which is usually a receiver and then somebody in the secondary. I saw Billy Bowman go after, who was it? I think it might have been Farouk. They got into a really good one as well. Just the physicality of the practices, um, the intensity, 
is really, really high, which is, I think, uh, something that Oklahoma fans are going to like to hear, obviously. And so that that stuck out to me yesterday uh, with, the, with the W drill. And uh, a few players talked about that last night, too, just like what that does for you from a physicality standpoint. And it's just basically you can't replicate it in a game if you don't do it in practice. And then that's that's what Brent Venables, that's his uh, mindset on it. So definitely intensity part of it um, certainly stands out uh, to me. And also uh, worth noting, too, punt returning. Had Andrew Anthony back there returning punts a little bit. LV Bunkley Shelton returning punts a little bit, who he did, he did a little bit last year as well uh, in practice and things like that. Certainly Drake Stoops in there as well. Interesting to see how that shakes out because we've talked about Angel Anthony before. And, you know, talking to J.J. Hester last week, I asked him about Angel Anthony, and he basically said, guy is stupid fast. Like, that, he, he, he started to smile as soon as I said his name, basically, of like, yeah, he is a burner. So if you can get him in some space in a punt return situation – that could probably be pretty beneficial for OU. Uh, so excited to see how that goes as we go on a little bit through the uh, the practices in the spring game as well. Josh, uh, I got a Andrew Anthony note for you as well as it relates to the W drill. Uh, he got into a skirmish uh, during that W drill with none other than Jaden Davis. It was number four versus number five. There you go. And they were they they engaged, they locked up, and they were not letting go of each other. Uh, they had to be separated. It got really intense, got really heated, really physical. But, you know, we talked to Brent Venables and he said the first thing we got, one of the first things we got to do is get uh, more physical. Okay. So how do you do that? I I asked that follow-up question a couple of times, maybe last week. How do you, how do you get more physical? I I know how you get more physical. I played high school football when the coach was mad at us, when we got blown off the ball, I knew exactly what we did. And it was back then it was the Oklahoma drill. You get down in your hand in a, a three point stance and you practice being more physical. But I want as a writer now, as a broadcaster, YouTuber, whatever, I want people to explain to me so I can explain to the readers who haven't ever played football. How do you, how do you prepare for this? And what we saw yesterday in the W drill was how you get more physical. You knock the hell out of each other in practice over and over and over and over again. And then you're done. Then you go to individual drills, right? Then you go to, uh, to some of the team setup and, and it groups, basically position groups, and you go work on your technical stuff. But you get that blood flowing with that W drill, man, that inside drill. Ooh, that's uh, that's what we saw yesterday. Jaden Davis, 5'10", 183, right? He's out there mixing it up with a six foot three, two hundred and ten pound wide receiver, and he was not backing down. And I noticed that over and over and over. The the receivers, the DBs, Justin Harrington, it looks like a, a Cadillac Escalade steaming down the highway when he's going in for that uh, that first collision because there's a uh, there's a blocker up front, there's a defender, and they basically are required to smash into each other. I thought we were going to see some nuclear fusion at some point. Guys, those guys were hitting the hell out of each other. Uh, it, it's just being interesting to see because I remember back, it was either before the UTEP game or the midweek between UTEP and Kent State where we had got Jordan Kelly. And it was asked about the physicality through fall camp, and you could see the look on his face. like He was like, oh, it's physical. And the look on his face was like, yeah, this was new. Yeah. And then you pair that with what Venables had said after Texas, where the team looked fatigued, right? And I know that in the post between the post game press conference and we talked to him on Tuesday, he was like, "Wait, wait, I, I didn't say that, did I?" But uh, I, I think that's kind of that, that, that. It took a whole year for this team to acclimate to this is the level of physicality that you have in practice every single day from spring 
through fall camp, through midweek practices, because it's very apparent that that group was not that physical at any point under uh, the previous head coaching staff. Also, Gavin Sawchuk just kept scoring in the uh, W drill. <laughs> it felt like he he found a way to maneuver through and, and house it multiple times. Uh, he, he's looked really good. The couple of practices that we've gotten to see so far. Also, too, I'll throw in uh, on the same vein as the running backs, Caleb Hicks. I mean, they have they have other guys. They ha- You have Sawchuk and Barnes right there, Marcus Major as well. And then even Dalen Smothers, but that guy does not look like a freshman. He is, he's a load. I kind of did a little bit of a double take and checked the number. Like he's zero, right? Cause he, yeah, he's, he's a big kid. Um, there's a lot to be excited about there with, with him uh, down the road as well. You probably are, you probably won't see him and Dalen Smothers that much barring a lot of injuries, but yeah, those guys are going to be special when that time comes. Uh, Josh. Yeah, go ahead. Just real quick on that, I'll add to that note, is uh, a handful of times, they, they give us these little uh, rosters, right? Little rosters where I'm, mm. you know, you got the name and number and stuff, and you, I keep mine in my, my little jacket, my, my chest pocket right here, so I can pull it out real quick and check it. And I was doing that about 25 times yesterday yeah. with guys who I already knew their numbers. I'm like, whoa, wait a minute, who is that? I have to look it up. Uh, oh, that is, you know, whoever. That is Robert Spears Jennings because he's like six and a half pounds heavier with nothing but muscle. Everybody, I felt like a little kid out there. Everybody looked big. Everybody looked strong, thick, muscular. I'm just like, some, something's changed here. That first year of being in the program, uh, they they didn't get a ton of, of uh, building, I guess, kind of foundational building, muscle building, all that kind of stuff. They just basically, Schmitty, laid the foundation. This past year, I think we've seen that take off. I think, and Robert Spears Jennings, I asked him about that, and he said, yeah, everybody's about five pounds, at least five pounds bigger. It's uh-huh. shocking how big these guys are now. But well, you point. saw, too, yeah. not, not just the, the guys that have been here, a guy in R. Mason Thomas who did not make it in for the spring last year, right? So he, he joined up uh, – Late, which is the typical time. Um, don't know how to classify that anymore. It was not an early enrollee. He was a normal late enrollee. Uh, we, we saw last year, right? He was the speed edge rusher. That that was his thing. And he was limited by the hamstring a little bit. But when he came in, 220 speed. No, that dude put on 17 pounds. And, and he talked about that is that you can feel, A, not slower, but B, the power and his striking and his punches when, when he's trying to get off the ball. And so... That's something that you hope that because a guy like P.G. Adebore came in early, that he's a guy that frame, everything like that, still needs to add. Not saying that P.G. Adebore is going to add 17 pounds between now and, and kickoff. That would be insane. But you see that getting that just extra six months start is going to help what they can do because you've seen what Schmidty can do in, in short turnarounds from the end of last year to the start of spring. Specifically, Ryan, to R. Mason Thomas, uh, we do a lot of post-practice interviews. I think that night we did seven of them. And so I'm over here. I'm interviewing this guy, right? And I'm interviewing the you know, questions, wrapping up. And I turn around and, and I get over here and I'm like, whoa, who's who's that big guy right there? And I, I had to go up to Mike Houck and I, the sports information. I walked up and I said, who's that? And he, he looks at me like, how do you not know who that is? He didn't you know, say anything, but he just was like, it's our Mason Thomas. Like, obviously. I looked at him again and I was like, it is. 
didn't recognize him. Literally didn't recognize him being 17, 18 pounds heavier. Um, it's impressive that what they've t- what they've done this offseason. Yeah, who like you said yesterday, I think to, to Robert Spears Jennings, everybody everybody seems bigger, um, yeah. which is uh, I guess kind of kind of the idea, or you know, for uh, for Oklahoma right now. So certainly going to be interesting to see how that continues to go, and over the course of the summer, can they do that? Can are we going to be saying the same thing in fall camp? Like, geez, even since spring, some of these guys have have beefed up even more. Um, certainly, some of them you would hope for, uh, like Ryan was mentioned, PG Adebore among them. Uh, of course, do also mention Gentry Williams was out there, which is good to see. He wasn't practicing or anything, um, but he had the uniform on, on the sidelines and stuff like that. So good to see him just out and about out there. Very uh, number nine now. Scary spot. Yeah, last week. Had to learn his new number as well. The yeah. new numbers, man. And that's another reason I didn't recognize him. He has a new number and he's bigger. Yeah. So, yeah. Who's that guy? No, the that's, the, that's the guy that's are a challenge. I, I yeah. doing a lot, of, especially on defense. Offenses, I think a lot of, you know, there's not as much there other than just learning the new guys, but defensively, there's been a lot of shifting. So learning the new numbers. I'm not going to confuse, is it Kelvin Gilliam who wears zero? No, it's not zero. It's, uh, who wears zero? LeBlanc wears zero. LeBlanc wears zero. <laughs> not that I'm going to confuse him with Woody Washington necessarily, but I still <laughs> had to be like, you know, double check on, wait, who's zero? You know, so figuring the numbers out is the uh, biggest challenge of the spring for me right now. Um, do want to also make sure we, we mention and, and send our, uh, condolences and thoughts to Peyton Bowen and his family. Peyton was not at practice today, which, uh, you know, as high profile of a player as he is a freshman, people were very curious as to why he wasn't at practice. He put on social media last night, his sister tragically passed away, giving birth to his niece. Just awful, awful situation there. Can't even fathom it. Um, so he, that's why he wasn't at practice today. Was at the scrimmage on Saturday either. Um, there's a GoFundMe to donate to his family. I encourage you to do so if you're able. Just awful. I don't know if you guys have anything you want to add there, but I don't know what you can say other than just horrific. I mean, I mean, awful. Such a tragedy for the family uh, to to have to go through something like that at what is supposed to be such a joyous time of childbirth. Right. You know, it's just heartbreaking. Just rips your heart out. So. Uh, yeah, po- go find Peyton Bowen on Twitter and get in there. And, and if you can, please, please, please donate. Uh, they're talking about funeral expenses and obviously child care is coming up and all that other stuff. Um, they got they got a long, long road ahead. Um, emotionally, you can't even fathom it, but just the, the logistics of, of the expenses now, uh, which is the, the purpose of the GoFundMe. Get in there and do what you can to make yourself feel good about uh, being able to donate because this is unexpected, unforeseen, uh, heartbreaking stuff for the entire family. I will, man, I just, geez, holy cow. I'm out of words. I've got no more words. Yeah, this is one of those moments where a lot of stuff is bigger than football, and this one clearly is. So you just hope that Peyton's able to, and the whole family, take enough time to process and and grieve and and start to rebuild that and i'm sure that at some point doesn't really matter when he joins back up so we've got soul missions that's what this tight-knit group is for we've heard so much over the past 18 months about how close this team has become it's moments like this that that are really what that's for not not so much what happens in the middle of a second quarter on a saturday five months from now yeah, it goes without saying that there will be no rushing him back um, for, for Oklahoma. Uh, he'll take his time, that all the time he needs before he uh, you know returns to the team 
or uh, what have you. So again, just awful and uh, thoughts with that family. And if you're able, yeah, go find that GoFundMe and uh, donate to the Bowen family as they try to figure out how to move forward uh, from, from that tragic situation there. So we'll look forward to seeing Peyton back on the field soon, but uh, obviously he'll take all the time he needs. Shifting back to football, hard to transition, but we'll shift back to football um, on the field. What about player interviews? Uh, we've gotten to talk to a lot of people, uh, like we said, like we've referenced like seven or eight guys last Thursday, I think that was, when it was just a monsoon over at Everest. And then yesterday after practice as well, we've also got to talk to a lot of assistant coaches, a lot to gather. What were some things that jumped out? I certainly have a couple uh, of some things that guys said. What about you guys as far as uh, the player interview and assistant coach interview part of the last week? Well, let's, let's break protocol here, Josh. Let's, let's hear from you first. What's What stands out to you about your interviews? Oh, the pressure. Kind of lead off the top. I'll, I'll say <laughs> yesterday, and to kind of plug in and to tie into what Ryan wrote this morning, I'm a little convinced DJ Graham might be an impact receiver. He convinced me a little bit. I don't know. It might just be he's sweet-talking us a little bit because we all really like DJ Graham. Uh, he's very well-spoken and one of the best guys to talk to on the team. But, Ryan, you were in that scrum as well. He kind of convinced me a, a little bit talking to him, and he talked about how he just – this was something he wanted to do the whole time, you know, coming out of high school. He wanted to move to receiver. He basically kind of got pushed into cornerback because that was what Oklahoma needed at the time. And as he went on, he just – his heart was never in it, and he didn't want to make the transition midseason, but he just said, you know what, somebody else could really use this cornerback spot or these reps. I'm just going to go ahead and make the move now and let somebody else have this opportunity, and I'm going to try and focus on offense. And I'll tell you what, just hearing him talk about it yesterday, I asked him about developing the chemistry of Dylan Gabriel. He said it's been a bit of an adjustment catching from a lefty because he never done that before, but that he's coming along, and – I don't know. I mean, it just feels like there's an opportunity here. We've talked about it before. I mean, you have Farouk and Stoops, but the rest of that receiver room is – there's guys there, but it's a lot of unproven guys. And so why not DJ Graham? We all know how hard he works and how smart he is, and we know he can catch. We know he's athletic. Why not? You know, I mean, that's going to be fun to see uh, how that goes. Ryan, you were over there. Did you get a similar sense? Yeah. You First off, you just had the inherent confidence of DJ Graham, which right. is – DJ's great in the interview setting, but I never got a sense that like when you watched him play corner, that he was this overly confident. I know exactly what I'm doing type thing. Like he has the flashy catches, stuff like that. But the problem with DJ Graham was always like, okay, you show up and make this great catch. And then we just don't see you for the next three quarters or things like that. He didn't have any of that. It seemed like he was finally just comfortable and get into the nitty gritty of like, going through, oh, yeah, I had to remember that I have to take this many steps, and, I, and I have to, my steps have to be this length and stuff like that. And just going and, and breaking that stuff down is not what we had ever seen from him when he's talking about cornerback play, which I think just speaks to he loves playing wide receiver. And so that's been interesting. And, and Josh, kind of what you hit on there, I, I feel like – I don't know if this is the perception of DJ Graham, but when you have a guy that switches positions mid-year to where he's not going to play – I feel like that can sometimes be thought of like, oh my gosh, this guy's just thinking about him or whatever. And when, when he was like, look, my heart's not in this. I want to give those reps to other guys in the cornerback room who want to be a corner and who's love this position, whose heart's in it. I thought that was just fascinating because that, that's mm. not something that any of us had really thought of, I don't think, is the, the team aspect of I'm taking reps when I don't want to be in this. And so, yeah, he, he's got that inherent confidence. He, he said – a hundred percent, no knock on the other guys, but I feel like I, I can come in and make an impact. And he just feels like 
Um, this year, he talked a lot about his roommate, Drake Stoops, and, and what right. Drake Stoops, the, the impact he's had as far as getting him up to speed with the offense, the hand signals, all that stuff. So now you've heard Jill Farouk talk about turning to Drake Stoops. DJ Graham talked about how Drake Stoops is just a pro and everything he does. You had wide receivers coach Emmett Jones, who we got to talk to on Thursday that we'll talk about here in a second, who said he would go to any dark alley in South Dallas with Drake Stoops and he'd, he'd <laughs> feel just fine. Like Emmett Jones talked about when he was at Texas Tech sitting in the wide receiver room, breaking down Oklahoma offensive film going, why is Drake Stoops on the field? Look at the athletes that they've recruited, stuff like that. And then he's like, yeah, I spent like a day in the room with him. And he's like, oh yeah, this guy's got to be on the field. He's going to be a huge contributor. So I, we, we don't get to hear a ton and as far as vocally Drake Stoops because he kind of does all of his talking on the field. But uh, he sounds like the guy as far as the leadership portion that is the unquestioned spearhead of that wide receiver room. Something else that stood out about what Emmett Jones was talking about in relation to DJ Graham, he's got suction cups on his hand. We said he's a great athlete, quick, fast, explosive. But when the ball goes up, he said he's got the strongest hands he's ever seen for a receiver. That that says something. I mean, that that underscores why they uh, why he was able to pull that interception down against Nebraska. Get one finger on it and pulled it down. Right? Yeah. Um, gosh, where do you go with? Uh, we've had so far, in not including Brent Venables. So if you throw Brent Venables in, we've had twenty three interviews posted on the website. Twenty three players, coaches, uh, assistant coaches have uh, participated in post-practice interviews in the last, you know, just started last week. So pretty impressive. Uh, great list. My favorite to this point has been, without a question, uh, Whataburger aficionado Jay Valai. The guy apparently lives at Whataburger and has about 4% body fat. He's <laughs> defying what human physiology is supposed yeah, okay. to be. I asked him. He was talking about, yeah, I got this restaurant and that restaurant, but I was born and raised in Whataburger, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, Jay, you don't look like you go to Whataburger much. He said, okay, so maybe not as much as I used to. Um, guys, uh, is a quote a minute. And the best part, of course, is uh, when, you, when you're doing small talk like that. But when he starts talking about his wide receivers, you get, you know, we talked about it. It's Farouk and it's, and it's Stoops. And after that, the most experienced receiver they have on the field is Gavin Freeman, who caught three passes last year. Stunning. What? Yeah. And then you got to build from that. So, but you talk to Jay Valai and you come away thinking, I think this receiver group's got a chance to be pretty good because Jay Valai exudes that kind of confidence. So, uh, yeah, he's, uh, he's infectious the way he talks about his guys. Yeah. Joe Jones is excited about his wide receivers. Valai is excited about the corners. He's, he's talking about like he, he had two or three moments in that Valai interview where he's like talking about some of the younger guys. Josiah Wagner was asked about, and Jay Valai looks over to his right, and he's like, uh, all that banging you hear in the background, that's Josiah Wagner over there. And, oh, yeah, Gentry Williams, he would typically be in that group. And and uh, he, he talked about that, but the thing that stood out to me from Jay Valai was something that's kind of been whispered about that we've talked about. There was not a lot of football coaching going on, like football, the game of football going on defensively before Brent Venables got there. Jay Valai had a little anecdote about he walked in and he asked just the, the group of corners like, hey, what's cover two? Very simple coverage. Anyone that's played any NCAA or Madden knows what cover two is, much less people that actually play football. You know what I mean? And he's like, I got like 8,000 answers the first time. And he's like, guys, let's. 
it's cover two. There's seven back here, five, two. What do you, what do you do? Like it's in the net. And uh, so, so he talks, Jay Vali has been the guy that's talked a lot about football intelligence. Brent Minwell has talked about it a little bit. Um, but I think you can just tell that there's a confidence as far as, oh, it took a while into the season for it to click, not just what the system is, but why you do these things and actually understanding the entire defense. That's something Brent Minable says that he wants to coach the entire defense to every player. And I think that just took a long time last year. So it'll be interesting to see um, headed into year two, if that's something that mentally the defense isn't just caught thinking because it felt a lot like that defense played slow and panicked and there were a lot of busts, especially at TCU, right? Five games in, you go, oh, no one knows this defense. So it'll be interesting to see if, if that's a change uh, this year. There were guys, Ryan, uh, the past couple of weeks who have talked about learning as much as they can under Brent Venables. They're, they don't have it mastered. It's year two, but they're still picking things up. Jaron Canick, for instance, said uh, only Brent Venables knows everything about this defense. I mean, that's the, the complexities and the the options that exist when when there's a motion or a switch or a change or yeah. something at the line of scrimmage. Oh, now we're doing this. Brent Venables is the only one who knows that. Not Ted Roof, not Brandon Hall. And I asked Brandon Hall because he was talking about guys um, learning year two. Oh, learning year two is so much more um, smooth and, and fluid than what we got in year one. Year one, it was a lot of hard grinding and teaching and details and here's why and and foundational. I said, Brandon, what about the coaches? It's year two for a lot of Brent Venable's coaches as well. Are they learn? And he goes, oh, absolutely. We're learning, uh, learning from Brent, learning intricacies of this defense all the time. So the, the, the process continues. Like you guys referenced, got to meet Emmett Jones last week on that same night with uh, Jay Valife, obviously first-time new receivers coach for Oklahoma. He had a lot of great – he was a – I don't know if he's Jay Valai level of quote machine, but he had a lot of good ones. Good. Um, what were some impressions of Emma Jones just getting to meet him for the first time um, and, and get to learn a little bit about him? Obviously, the buzz the buzz comment was that he said it was a no-brainer to come to Oklahoma, that basically he had made a decision long ago that OU was one of those schools that almost no matter what, he wasn't going to say no to if he ever got a chance, and obviously that chance has now come. That's going to endear himself to the fans a little bit. He was great, though. Uh, it was good to hear from him. What did you guys think about Mr. Jones? Yeah, uh, just growing up in Texas or being being from Texas, being around Texas so much, the state of Texas, you know, OU carries this kind of um, mystique, you know, as a program. And he's one of those guys that as he's coach, as coming up through the coaching ranks, here's a guy who looks at Oklahoma and says, oh, so that's how it's done. He, he put out a tweet uh, yesterday, I think, about the coaches clinic, the OU coaches clinic that's coming up. He said, I expect all I-20 corridor high school football coaches in the state of Texas, East Texas basically is what he's talking about. I expect all I-20 coaches to be here. You know, his recruiting uh, roots and his contacts that he's established in recruiting uh, with, when it comes to the, the high school coaches, the network, the unbelievably large and rich network that exists in recruiting, he's got his fingers all over that. So hiring him, yeah, great. He's going to be a good wide receivers coach, there's no doubt. Um, he, he, he's passionate about being here, no doubt. He is, a, he is going to be an invaluable asset in recruiting. You need those big East Texas wide receivers to come into your program if you're Oklahoma, and he's going to bring them in. That's, that's the main thing that I get that, that I take away from him, the interview with him. Yeah, and 
incredibly connected, but I think too, it's not just how connected he is Uh, guys. Frankly, if we talked to the most diehard Oklahoma fan and we had said, we just hired this guy for you, write a bio of what you would like, just be the most stoked about. Uh, Emmett Jones is, is basically, I think, what everyone would dream of for, for a wide receiver coach for like a diehard because he talked about how when he was, you know, an, an assistant and a head coach in, in you know, the, the Dallas area, what did they do? They modeled everything in their program around Oklahoma. He's like the mindset, the mentality. It was all about Oklahoma. He was a huge admirer of Bob Stoops so much that when he went to OU Texas to watch one of his former players, Mike, Di- Mike Davis, play for Texas, what did he do? He sat on the OUN so that he could sit there and be locked in and watch Bob Stoops and watch those guys go to work. He, he told a story about the, the first time that he got off on, on Lindsay with, with Texas Tech and what he had told Cliff Kingsbury. So go, go, go and find that story that we put on All Sooners because it, it's like a dream as far as that. And I think that when you pair that passion, that excitement for Oklahoma, and then you have a guy that, that he basically said this, right? I've sat on both sides of it now. I've been the, the high school head coach that has his player recruited by Oklahoma. Now I'm at Oklahoma, and his message was, when you're at Oklahoma, it's everything that it dreamed of. Like I don't understand how that's not going to be an incredibly powerful recruiting message, especially amongst coaches that are that are very familiar with him just in that uh, Dallas area and, and all throughout Texas. So I'm, I'm really fascinated to see what Emmett Jones does here over the next couple of years as a recruiter at Oklahoma because, frankly, that's the biggest thing the Sooners lost in Kale Gundy at that spot is yeah. Kale Gundy's welcome in every door in the country just about, and, and he was a dynamite recruiter. We'll attempt to uh, to move on. There's like 10 more things I could bring up because like who said, we've talked to so many people, so many guys, but uh, I recommend you check out allcenters.com and uh, all the stories these guys are writing, but then also obviously, of course, all the videos we post, the interviews of every guy, we post them all. Every guy that we get, we get a good lengthy video of them, usually everything they say, barring something unforeseen, and uh, we get them on All Sooners and also on whose YouTube page as well on uh, John Hoover Media. So I recommend you check those out and uh, hear from all these guys because there are lots of great stuff. Lives are high in the spring. It's kind of like spring training in baseball. Everybody's zero and zero. Everybody feels good about everything. Everybody's turned the corner. So everybody's in a good mood and uh, lots of good stuff coming and more to come. We're going to, to again tomorrow to hear uh, from more guys and uh, coaches tomorrow after practice. So we'll look out for that tomorrow evening as well on uh, allsooners.com. All right, we'll go ahead and take a time out here. We'll come back. Some recruiting stuff to get to. Like we said, a lot of recruits were in town over the weekend in Norman. OU also did pick up a commit, the first of the 2024 class. We'll dive into that as well as preview OU Pro Day coming up later this week as well. Coming up next right here on the All Sooners podcast. Hey, it's John Hoover from my friends at Trade Pros. Spring's right around the corner, and you're going to need to make sure your air conditioning system is running right. So right now, through the end of March, Trade Pros is offering a $25 spring tune-up. Now that's a $100 value, but this month only, $25. The spring tune-up is a comprehensive preventive maintenance check. They're going to do a full system diagnostic. They're going to check your Freon levels. They're going to make sure that your amperage on your system is where it's supposed to be. Heating and air systems can be complicated, and you want to know that your electronics are running at peak efficiency as the weather gets warmer. So just call Michael at TradePros, 405-593-1585, or go to TradeProsOKC.com. I think it's time to call Trade Pros. I think it's time to call
On Twitter, you can follow all Sooners at all underscore Sooners. Ryan's underscore Ryan Chapman. Who's at Johnny Hoover? I'm at Josh M. Callaway. Our website is allsooners.com. We are a Fan Nation affiliate, part of the Sports Illustrated Network. All right, segment two here on this Tuesday edition of the All Sooners podcast. Got some other football things to hit here. Pro Day coming up this week. We'll preview that in just a moment. But let's get some recruiting stuff going first. OU landed the first 2024 commit. We'll talk about him in just a second, but let's first just acknowledge how many recruits were in town over the weekend for that scrimmage that we referenced earlier. It wasn't open to the public uh, because, like we've said, there was so many recruits there. I don't know the exact number, but if you told me it was like close to 100, I probably would believe you. It was a lot of kids in town over the weekend uh, for Oklahoma. Big, big recruiting weekend. We'll see how that bears out down the road. But, I mean, guys. That was a loaded slate. I mean, I, it, I'm i not even going to attempt to try and rattle off names because it was, yeah. I mean, it was a laundry list upon laundry list. We'd, we'd be here. They probably would create an FCC rule or something if we started listing like every recruiter. <laughs> even a podcast. Another, po- another show just for that. Grown on for that much amount of time. No. Uh, so from Thursday, Friday and Saturday last year, I got three updates on the number of players who were going to be there. The Thursday one said 75. I was like, damn, that's a lot. The Friday one said over 90. I was like, you got to be kidding me. The third one, the the final tally was something between 110 and 120 recruits, recruits in town, the future freaks. Um, A lot of big name guys, obviously a lot of big name 2025s, especially. Um, now just to be clear, one of these guys was not Kevin Sperry. He was not able to attend because he had already committed to playing in a seven V seven out in Nashville. So the, the C4 team was up there in Nashville. They didn't all go. They didn't all go. I think there were one or two that stayed behind, but yeah, Kevin Sperry, the quarterback of that team, the 2025 commit to OU, uh, was not among the future freaks, even though he's pretty much a future freak. I've got a cool story coming up on him, by the way, real quick. I talked to his mom and dad. I came broken arrow last last week. Uh, stayed after the final game. His little brother plays as well, so they stayed after the final game. Uh, Kevin's dad, Kevin Senior, coaches the uh, the little ones. Rozzy is his name, eighth grader. He coaches his team, and uh, they stayed like for almost an hour afterwards. And we just stood there and talked uh, about Kevin and his commitment. So cool story coming up on that. But future freaks, um, more than we could list, and it's. A lot of people, a lot of these guys came away on Twitter and, and social media saying, holy cow, this was amazing. I'm going to be back. Uh, and, you know, here that they didn't get a commitment out of it yet. Uh, yet they will. I guarantee you they will. There's been like uh, five, um, five to seven players who have been forecasted at this point to uh, to be committed, will silently committed or will commit to Oklahoma so it's going to be a very productive thing. The 2024 class is at one right now. It was at zero before last week. So uh, they're building kind of from the ground up there. They were at some point ranked number 57. No, I think right now, currently they're ranked number 57 in the country because they only have one commit. Yeah, I'll be interested to see because, again, the number – and it's not just like, oh, my gosh, you called up 100 dudes just to, to come in. Like, they're future freaks – like if you look at the the rankings that are already out, top two hundred guys up and down that list uh, of of uh, people that were brought in. So I, I'm really going to be fascinated to see 
Does this speed up the clock? And, and again, no one's ever going to expect that a Brent Venables recruiting class has 20 guys in the boat by April of that year or anything. But now that this coaching staff has had this moment to be able to, to have their big junior day, things like that, and start that process of, of guys unofficially visiting sooner, that way by the time that they're taking their officials, they already have kind of like a hierarchy in mind and, and there's less to see if you know. I'm curious if that means in the future that, again, Oklahoma maybe has six or seven guys in the boat before June when things really start to kick up as opposed to just a handful where, where some people are kind of panicking going, okay, I know everyone's telling me trust it, trust it, trust it, but what if this doesn't come to fruition? Because everything you hear about this staff is everything we've heard from every recruit that, that signed on in the 2023 class, which is the family atmosphere, guys. I know that we talk a lot about the soul mission. If you just ask Brent Venables about the soul mission, we'll talk on and on and on. Well, why? Because that resonates with recruits. A lot of the recruits talk about that's a, that's a huge thing that I see that that is appetizing to me is something that, oh, I've got support on the field and off the field. So now it feels like, truthfully, the only piece missing from Oklahoma recruiting at levels year over year that we haven't really seen out of them since the early 2000s is not going six and seven in the fall. Like It feels like that's the missing piece because everything you, you get out of these interviews and things like that is all the momentum moving in the right direction for, for Oklahoma being able to stack another big recruiting class. Yeah, Ryan, um, Barry Switzer used to say you, you have to, and he was the best that ever did it, in my opinion, um, he said, you have to recruit the mamas. And Brent Venables has taken that in a slightly different direction, but he's still doing it. He's recruiting the mamas. He's recruiting the parents. Uh, again, I'm talking to Kevin Sperry's parents, this was very evident that when you bring your kid to campus, to OU, and you say, uh, we're going to go over here and watch film with the coaching staff. The parents are going to go over here and they're going to talk to the support staff. The support staff is telling the parents, here's what we're going to do when your son is here. Um, here are some of the th things that the Soul Mission does. Here are some of the things that Soul Mission stands for. Uh, and people are just really getting in line for this thing. It's, uh, it's pretty amazing what Brent and his staff and the coaching staff who have done this before at Clemson. It's amazing what they're pouring into it because when the players leave here, all they talk about is family atmosphere. Coaching staff is genuine. Everybody we talk to, genuine, genuine, genuine. So uh, it, it in terms of what Brent talks about in the public, people are starting to, because we're cynical and we're idiots, we're start, starting to roll our eyes a little bit. But that's his selling point is Soul Mission does this for the young people. When you come to Oklahoma, we do this for you. Bring your kids here. And Brent right now, there, there's a lot of talk about um, being selective. Like there's some, there's some four stars out there who have not, who have been offered by Alabama, have been offered by Clemson, Texas A&M, Texas and, and the USC, the whole list, right? Ohio State. A couple of guys, a handful of guys, have not been offered by Oklahoma specifically. Now, why is that? Why would OU not offer the same? Because they don't fit culturally. They don't fit. Um, you know, personality wise and what Brent and his staff are trying to accomplish. So at this point you get, you, you do this uh, future freaks thing and you get more than a hundred guys in, you meet them, you talk to them, you meet their families, you find out what they're about. And then you start issuing those offers because 
you're offering people who fit your program culturally and, you know, psychologically and uh, emotionally and all that stuff. And if there's a great player out there who wants to come to OU who doesn't fit that last little profile of being a great cultural fit, being the guy that you want on your campus, then they won't offer him. That's where the program is right now. Yeah, you've got that. And you've also got what's the other thing you hear, not just the, you know, don't recruit your own problems. That, that's where that comes from, feeling out the character. But also the, if Oklahoma issues you an offer, it is a committable offer. And that and Brent Venables and, and those coaches that we talked to a lot last summer, like on the caravan, this is really popular on the caravan, when Brent Venables was explaining his recruiting philosophy to, you know, the fans that came to the caravan, it was that we're making a commitment to you that if we send you an offer and you – that you can accept that offer and we're not going to walk away from you. Um, stuff like that. Well, this class in state, I think too may have slowed some of the role on what some of those offers may have gone out because in state, a lot of excellent talent in 2024 looks like 2025 is going to be really similar in the state of Oklahoma. And so, you know, especially with those Oklahoma kids, you have to hold that spot for them if you if you issue that offer out. So I think that's another side of it too that works in conjunction with what you were saying, Hoove. Like we referenced, Oklahoma did pick up their first 2024 commit uh, on Saturday night. Mr. Jeremiah Newcomb, he's a cornerback from Queen Creek, Arizona. First one for the 2024 class, depending on where you look, a top 20 corner in the class, top three or four player in the state of Arizona. Got to see his tape a little bit, uh, getting ready for this commit over the weekend, and then obviously after he made it official, he's a guy who can really you know make a lot of plays on the football, very physical, gets downhill, and can really you know uh, hit the ball carrier at a nice. He does a good job getting off his blocks, things like that. Very athletic kid too. Uh, I mean, it kind of goes without saying, but they, I mean, they would put him at Wildcat quarterback and and stuff like that uh, at at Castile High School. They really he would catch passes. He was a do it all type of player there in high school. A lot of these guys are. But seemingly a really nice get here, and you wonder, is this going to be the get the ball rolling and you'll start to add more as we go? But uh, a, a good pickup here for, for Oklahoma, it would, it would appear, with uh, Jeremiah Newcomb. Yeah, OU's uh, first committed 24 season, uh, of the 24 class. I, I would think that there would be a, like a rush at some point to be the first, and uh, that didn't happen. Um, everybody has taken their time with Oklahoma. And Oklahoma's taking their time with a lot of recruits. Uh, now, Newcomb is uh, he's 5'11", 175. He's not a physically overwhelming cornerback or anything like that. But he basically showed up to Norman uh, midweek. Um, this was unforeseen. This was unexpected. But he showed up midweek. I think it's essentially, uh, for lack of a better word, he and his family took a little mini vacation to Norman, Oklahoma. And they spent like four days there, four or five days um, and committed Saturday night. So the last two commits they've got, Kevin Sperry and now um, Newcomb. Friday night, 11.20, 11.20 at night, and then Saturday at 8.40. Um, Ryan's going to start a class for you young recruits that are <laughs> that will help you maximize your, your commitment window. And uh, Friday night and Saturday night ain't maximizing your recruiting window, guys, your committing window. So, uh, but he's a, he's a four-star. He's the number 22 corner in the nation. That's according to 24-7 Sports. What impressed me about him was he's Bobby Newcomb's kid. Bobby Newcomb, former Nebraska quarterback, slotted in between Scott Frost, 
he was on that national championship team in 97 and uh, Heisman Trophy winner, Eric Crouch. He was the quarterback in between those two guys. So that tells you right there, uh, he comes from good stock. Now, well, guess what? His high school coach is his dad out there at Castile and Phoenix, basically, is where they are, uh, just south of Chandler, I believe, uh, Arizona. So uh, his high school coach is his dad. You do a little further digging, and you find out that his big brother plays corner at UCLA. So absolutely comes from a football family, football minds, football DNA, and not just football, but high-level stuff. His dad played in the NFL for a little while, played in the CFL for a little while. So very gifted, athletically family, knows the game of football incredibly well. Uh, this is a great get for Oklahoma. Yeah, and the the athletic pedigree, I, I think, is the first thing that jumps out. You can tell it comes from a very athletic family. But then for me, when you look at it, you, you look at the, the measurements, you're like 5'11", you're like, okay, what's that going to look like? Still plenty of time to kind of grow into that frame or whatever. And it after talking with Jay Valai on Thursday, where he had a comment about like, when he looks, he was asked about the versatility. I think by Yuhuv, as far as the how you guys work between corner and safety and back and stuff like that. And Jay Valai basically said that didn't really matter to me. We recruit football players, whether they're a corner or a safety. He's like, I'm not going to recruit a corner that can't hit. That's just called soft. That was Jay Valai's uh, comments, and that rang true when you fold over to Newcomb's highlights and you go, Oh, this. This is not soft. This is someone that is triggering, that is coming upfield. He will get in your grill, and he will absolutely plaster you, regardless of if he's not you know, a, a linebacker size or an oversized safety just at 5'11". That, that, to me, was the first thing that stood out because I don't think you could really judge his ball skills defensively because it was clear that people were not testing him d- defensively as a corner. If you wanted to see his ball skills, watch the offensive half of the highlights that Josh put up at allsuitors.com. Yeah. Uh, real quick uh, note on him, on um, Newcomb. Four-year starter at Castile. His freshman stats as a freshman before people started, before people realized how good he is and they stopped going at him. 56 tackles and 18 passes defensed as a freshman. So, uh, kid knows how to play football. Fearless is what that tells you. Uh, how many, uh, how, how big was he as a freshman? Like 5'8", 150? And he's out there making 56 tackles and diving on uh, right, diving in on on pass routes like that. So yeah, that's this. I just I expect his star rating or p- position rating or whatever you want to call it. Uh, I expect it will go up as more people find out more about this kid. Yeah, it's not often that uh, in about a two minute highlight tape you have a guy who's catching touchdown passes. He's blowing people up. He's returning kicks, and like I said, they put him at wildcat quarterback, and he just little sweep route just ran ran by everybody. Uh, he's He's a fun player and excited to see him more as we go on. Obviously, he's got another year of high school football and all that kind of good stuff, but exciting player. And the first one for 2024, I think that says something about him, too. I mean, it's got to be hard to be the first one. You don't know anybody else who's in your class. <laughs> you know, I mean, it, it's got to be a little tough. I think it says something about him to be like, yeah, I want this is I'm good with this, even though there's literally nobody else that I know for sure in my class right now. And so we'll see how that goes. Of course, Michael Hawkins coming up here in the other part of April. He might be the next one in 2024. We'll see if there's one before then, but that's coming up uh, very, very soon in the early part of April. Shifting over to uh, from future Sooners to former ones now, Pro Days this week. It's on Thursday. It's kind of sneaking up a little bit because, like we said a few times, it's usually earlier in the month of March. This year, it's a, a lot later. It's coming right at the end in the midst of spring ball. 
17 guys will be in action on Thursday. Ryan and I will be in the building at the Everest Training Center. I'll rattle them off real quick in ABC order. Gabe Burkich back in town. See him kick it around a little bit, parallel park it through the uprights, whatever the heck he does. Justin <laughs> Broyles, CJ Colden, Eric Gray, Anton Harrison, Jeffrey Johnson, Casey Kelleher, the long snapper, Marvin Mims, Wanya Morris, Trey Morrison, Chris Murray, Daniel Parker, Jalen Redmond, Ventavius Thompson, who will be requesting if he's back. Clearly not. He's working at Pro Day. Michael Turk, Deshaun White, and then Braden Willis. My question to you guys is pretty simple. Who's this biggest for? Who needs a big pro day? Who are you watching out for? It could be a couple of guys, and there probably is at least a few that it's important for, but in particular, one or two that you really keep an eye on uh, this week here uh, at Pro Day. Easy for me. Uh, Braden Willis needs to improve his raw numbers mm-hmm. that he put on paper uh, at the Combine. He was invited to the Combine. He did not perform well. Um, he's got a great football mind. He's got an unbelievable work ethic, and he's got natural leadership skills, but he does not, or did not on paper anyway at the combine, put down those NFL type numbers. So for him to go out there and really improve his stock across the board, huge. Um, a guy that wasn't invited to the combine that needs to really show out. And I think he will uh, time-wise, I don't know how strong he'll be or, or any of that, but uh, you know, on the bench press, but I think he'll put up decent times because he's athletic as Deshaun White, three-year starter at linebacker yeah. needs to, needs to show NFL scouts. Hey, I'm not just some little guy that used to play safety in high school and they moved to linebacker and, and that's all they did. Uh, I'm not just some guy that they plugged into a position. Uh, I'm an actual football player and I can contribute to an NFL team. He's a six foot, little shade over six foot linebacker. Um, NFL scouts aren't beating their beating down doors to, uh, to find six foot linebackers, but, um, he, he's got the athletic ability and he's got a great football mind to be able to make up some ground, if you will, on, on some guys who are bigger and maybe, uh, more stronger and more explosive than he is. Yeah. Co-sign on Deshaun White. He's the one I'm, I'm looking at, especially just because he's coming off the season where he was finally put into space, right, to make plays, and it was the best season of his career. I just have to wonder what Deshaun White would have been if he had had his entire career under Brent Venables as opposed to just, you know, one short year, one short stop. So I think it'll be interesting for him because he's athletic enough to kind of show the, hey, more and more and more the NFL game is also playing in space, and so you can put me out in space as a linebacker, come up, play the run, do a little bit uh, in the past game at the NFL level, things like that. If he can go out and show that, then like this is not a scenario where Deshaun White catapults himself to date or anything like that, but uh, it's just going to take one or two groups to want to bring him in in the late rounds and have him at least put into an initial landing spot instead of having to uh, motor through kind of the undrafted free agent market. It's a big day for Chris Murray as well, and it's a big day for for Jeffrey Johnson because those guys also didn't go to the Combine. Um, but I am really interested to see what CJ Colden puts down on paper. He's a, he's a corner who played at Wyoming, wasn't overly productive at Wyoming, but he comes to Oklahoma and all he does is get catch interceptions, right? He turns the football over. He gives the football back to the offense. That's the name of the game. If you're a guy who can, um, maybe you're not uh, six foot three, maybe you don't run a four, three, but you have a nose for the football. I think CJ Colden might fit into that category as someone who intrigues scouts because he's just productive. 
Yeah, I was going to just say, you know, still just totally head-scratching that Deshaun White wasn't invited to the Combine. Makes no sense. Um, but yeah, I mean, I would certainly agree who... Um, Jeffrey Johnson seems like the biggest one to me as far as the... Uh, other than Deshaun White, who's, I think, the most obvious role in agreement there. But as far as the guys who weren't invited to the Combine, who have a shot to get drafted, I would think Jeffrey Johnson falls into that category. Um, so a good pro day could really do a lot for him. We'll see how that goes. Uh, certainly agree about Chris Murray as well. The other guys are going to have a really hard time, I think, getting into the mix as far as getting drafted. But still, there's there's undrafted, you know, obviously free agent deals that get signed and make an impression. There will still be a lot of scouts there. It's still Oklahoma. There's no big number one quarterback, obviously, out of OU this year. But there will still be a lot of scouts there. There always is at OU's pro day. I can't remember the exact number last year, Ryan. It was like 30 teams or something. It was a really high number. Um, so... Yeah, I mean, it's a chance to make an impression for these guys. We'll see how that shakes out. And then, uh, you know, I'll throw it into Anton Harrison. I mean, he's going to probably be a first-round pick. Does he help himself? How much does he do? Uh, is he is his is his camp telling him don't do a lot because you can only hurt your stock, or does he go in aggressive thinking I can move up and get even higher than uh, you know the fourth or fifth tackle off the board or whatever he is right now? That's going to be interesting to watch, uh, I think, as well. So I've seen him projected as a as a uh, top fifteen pick. If you're a top fifteen pick, I don't think you want to do too much at your pro day. And I think I sold Deshaun White short. Uh, he started in two, 2019, the Jalen Hurts year. I remember him playing at that uh, that game at Baylor. Uh, he's a four year starter. He's not a three year starter. He started for four years for OU. Yeah, good point. Wanya Morris too. I remember after he you know uh, had a. Injury scare at the pro day in Indianapolis. He's scheduled to participate. I don't know what all he is participating in, um, but he's gonna be one to keep an eye out too, just from a health perspective. Hopefully, he looks good. Uh, you hate to yeah. see anybody get hurt at the combine. I mean, that's just yeah, that that stinks. So hopefully, he's good to go. And uh, yeah, we'll see how that shakes out on Thursday. Ryan and I will be there. Do, we'll give you all the latest from uh, from Everest. Do do we expect? Um, I've been so caught up in the, in the guys that need to have a big pro day is Marvin Mims expected to go through and, and run those routes and things like that. Obviously he had that, you know, question that was asked to him at the combine, um, on the media portion about, he was only asked to run a couple of routes. He's been, he's been working with his trainer, stuff like that. Cause if that's the case, is it a chance for Dylan Gabriel to step out there and throw to Marvin Mims in front of some scouts, even though it's not his pro day? Because that would be something underrated to watch as well, to see if it's Gabriel running out there or if it's uh, PJ again. So, I'm glad, yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because we were talking about that yesterday. Who's going to throw to these guys? Because, yeah, J.P. Lofman did it last yeah, year. Right, and here's here's what's going to happen. Uh, Marvin's not going to do a lot of 40, 40 yard dash type stuff. He ran a four, three, eight, no need to prove anything there. Um, he will run a lot of routes. He will go out there and he will show his, his uh, fitness and ability and, and, you know, knowledge and all that, but they're going to say, okay, run a six down set hut go. And he's going to be required to know, uh, and, and really run precise routes. Uh, and I think a hundred percent what you just said, Josh is right. It's, I, I think it's going to be JP Lossman because current quarterbacks, current players are not allowed to participate in any way, shape or form in pro day. So it won't be Dylan Gabriel. It won't be any of those guys, but uh, I don't see why what's wrong with JP Lossman. He did a great job last year. Uh, nothing wrong with that. It was just a, for a guy that we know has NFL aspirations, uh, roll him out there. Yeah. Forbidden against the rules. He is. Yeah. I don't know. 
prohibited yeah, well, from taking part. We'll see. It's not too bad. You have a former NFL QB on the on the shelf there. So, uh, you know, we'll see uh, Mr. Lossman toss it around. And it'll be funny. To have, I, we've been joking about it, but it will be funny to have Burkich back around for, for, for a day. Um, maybe Cam I, Newton will show up. Maybe Cam Newton will show up. I, you would think that for, for Burkich that it would just just go take a kicking job in, like, the XFL or something. Or US. Isn't that a better path? I feel like that it's very unlikely that anything's going to happen at Pro Day that teams are going to be like, yes, let's make this guy our kicker. Because teams don't really carry more than one kicker. So, yeah. I don't know. I mean, it doesn't hurt him to do it, I guess, but I just have a hard time believing that they're going to go see him kick inside with no pressure and be like, yes, let's put this guy in Chicago. That's you know, going to hurt. Just exactly. doesn't, yeah. So, uh, to bring the show back full circle prematurely, uh, we're, we're at uh, open practice yesterday and the sec- basically the second big um, segment section of practice was field goal. And your man, Zach Schmidt, was money. Field goal, uh, practice field number two, field goal, field number two. And he walks out there. I don't think he missed, Josh. I didn't, like, like track the ball every time. But I, I basically stay on the kickers and the holders. And they were, like, high-fiving after every one. So I'm assuming that he was – I looked a couple of times, and they were right down the middle. So I know he missed some cut kicks last year. We called him out on this podcast for missing some important kicks, fourth quarter kicks. Um, maybe he's got that figured out. We still need the weather machine so that Dylan Gabriel can learn how to throw when it's not just perfect weather conditions and so that Zach Schmidt can kick in the cold and the wet because that's what got him. It was uh, Morgantown, Lubbock, and then a really, really long one against Baylor that I don't think anyone should really hold against him at the end of a half. Gonna have to deal with Provo in late November. Gotta gotta get ready for it now. I'm not ready for it, but uh, they gotta get ready for it now. Start prepping. Um, one last little piece of housekeeping uh, before we shift on to other sports as well. This is kind of cool. Jeremiah Cradell, uh, former Oklahoma defensive back, took a gig with South Florida as a GA, coaching. Uh, I think it was corners and nickels. Pretty cool. Uh, if you don't remember, Jeremiah Cradell was a highly touted player at high school. He was a guy who that when he committed, Lincoln Riley did like a hundred fist pumps throughout his entire office, if you remember that. Wasn't an exciting young player, but then had injuries that forced his career to come to an end early. Brent Venables let him stay on as an assistant last year, so he was always around the team last year, which is pretty cool. Finished his degree at OU, and now he gets another gig at South Florida. I think we all liked Jeremiah Cradell, uh, the, the experiences we got to have with him, the few times we got to talk to him. Um, he had a, did a couple of Zooms in the Zoom era. He's a Zoom era player, so I didn't get to really meet him in person that much, but um, wish him the best of luck. Pretty cool that he gets this opportunity to continue his football career after it was taken away from him, you know, on a, on the playing side of things. So here's where Jeremiah Cordell fit in. This sounds like a cool little, Oh, that's nice. You know, sooner gets to go, uh, continue his coaching careers, post playing career. That's a nice thing, right? If it makes you feel good. He was a guy who sat on the sidelines, stood on the sidelines with a green ball cap on mostly, or a green t-shirt. I think I can't remember. I think it was a ball cap. Uh, yeah. And would get, get the signals from upstairs from Ted Roof. Like Venables would say, here's what here's what I want you guys to do. Uh, Venables said he sits in on the or, – or leads the defensive meetings is the way he phrased it. Um, Ted Roof will, on game days, during the game, send in the play, send in the play call. And it's Jeremiah Cordell who signals it in. Got the green hat on. He's doing all the little, you know, crazy signals that they do, right? Well, he's not here anymore to do that. 
So they got to break in somebody new to do that. Yesterday at practice, Brandon Hall was wearing a green ball cap. Safety's coach. So is he is he the new signaler? Uh, or is he just kind of holding up? Somebody asked him, what's with the green ball cap? And he goes, it's so Brent Venables can see me. <laughs> I think he okay, always so you're sending in signals now. Cool. Uh, so that could be something that that sticks. Um, you know, that just illustrates what, it, what a good football mind Jeremiah Cradell had. Mm-hmm. Do uh, we think that LaDamian Washington is the wide receivers coach at South Florida was the connection as far as, hey, they were looking for I forgot. someone to, to, to step in. And that's someone that LaDamian Washington obviously worked closely with from uh, their time in Norman. Just because at some point, right, you can only be the, the GA for so long. They have to either take a step up or step out of that program and go kind of cut your teeth elsewhere. And so uh, I, I'm just kind of curious because – you know, Cradell West Coast guy, then then at Oklahoma, the the South Florida connection on top of Brent Vittables knowing everyone everywhere and coaching, but you've got LaDamian Washington on staff out there. I'm curious if that's kind of the initial like, hey, I worked with this guy, want to kick the tires, I'm bringing him in. Yeah, that's a great point. Yeah, because there was no obvious connection uh, to South Florida. I will say, I I looked it up. He's going to have his work cut out for him uh, with the Bulls. They were obviously very bad last year. But defensively, specifically, in the secondary, they were 124th in the country in passing yards allowed per game last year. 124th. That's 130 teams. They were 124th. But you know where OU was? 122. 119. So not much better. A small step back. Not much better. So he's, yeah. Um, Good luck to him. (laughs) Good luck to him. Uh, their their schedule got easier because some teams just left that American. <laughs> They're in the Big Twelve now, so uh, maybe maybe that'll USF can be a, a beneficiary of of that. Uh, Charlie Strong's not still the head coach there, is he? Who's head coach there? I, mean, I should have no. looked that up. Um, is is it the Golish guy? USF head oh, coach, yeah, yeah Alex Golish, yeah, yeah, yeah from okay. Tennessee. He was just named, yeah, this past, yeah, this is going to be his first year, yeah, because it was Charlie Strong, right? That'd have been that'd have been a funny little connection, but anyway, best of luck to uh, Jeremiah Cradell. All right, let's take a timeout. We'll come back. Other sports to hit, um, not a whole lot on the basketball front. Did have another transfer though. We'll hit that, and then we'll also wrap up the weekends that were for the Diamond Sports. Very different results for those two teams. We'll talk about that next, right here on the All Sooners podcast. Hey, are you a business owner looking to get your product out there to the masses? Let's say you run a hotel in Norman or a car dealership in Oklahoma City or a restaurant in Edmond, or maybe you're a small online business who creates and sells OU merchandise and you just want Sooner Nation to come sample your wares. Well, then consider advertising in this space right here on the SI Sooners podcast. SI Sooners reaches thousands of readers, viewers, and listeners literally every day. And the SI Sooners podcast is the ideal place to find your next customer. To advertise, send an email to allsoonerssi at gmail.com or DM us on Twitter at all underscore Sooners. Final segment of the All Sooners podcast, episode 180 on this Tuesday. Get through some last few things they're sending your way. A little cleanup. I'm not up to date on my South Florida head coaches. It was Jeff Scott was the last coach there. Charlie Strong was the one before that. They run through coaches pretty often out there in Tampa. Charlie Strong is actually an analyst with Alabama right now. Did you know that? I didn't know that. For the second time. For the second time. He 
since the South Florida job, he's had four different jobs in four years. So that's how things are going for Mr. Strong. Not good. <laughs> no. Future Kentucky good. linebackers coach Charlie Strong? No, never mind. That might be next. That might be next. You never know. All right, shifting over to uh, some hoops here. Not a whole lot going on. They had another guy hit the portal, Joe Bamaseal. I don't think anybody didn't see this one coming. Um, obviously, the George Washington transfer did not work out. Uh, we talked about it throughout the season for Oklahoma. Very athletic. When they got him, I think everybody thought he's going to answer some athleticism problems that they had from the previous year. And then he just never really played. <laughs> he had a stretch there where he started to see some more minutes. But then he went right back to never seeing the floor again. I don't know what it was. I mean, I'm around, I was around that team all year. I went to all the availabilities. And I think at the start of the year, it was him not really attacking practice the right way. But he seemed to have figured that out. But then he went back to not playing very much. I don't know. But it didn't work. That, that's what we can all agree on. So Joe Bamasil hits the portal. He's the fourth guy. He joins Benny Schroeder, Bijan Cortez, and CJ Noland. Add another one. None of these guys are unexpected, in my opinion. Um, but thoughts for you guys uh, for for Joe Bam, his uh, OU tenure coming to an end, and he'll be looking for his fourth team now uh, as he transfers again. Yeah, is he going to get that waiver to be able to play I next guess. year? I don't know. I mean, somebody told him at some point you need to go transfer somewhere else. He's already transferred a lot. He's he's gotten that waiver once already. So um, I don't know. Um, <laughs> 11 minutes a game, four points a game, as athletic as he was. Why wasn't he playing more? It, you know, when when Porter rolled him out there, it was a lot of uh, arms in the passing lanes, tipping uh -huh. basketballs, stuff like that. And it's just like, I I don't understand basketball. I don't understand basketball coaching. Um, I get it if you're not putting in the minutes in practice or putting in the effort or you're slacking off, goofing off, whatever. I totally get it. But when the coach puts you on the floor and you're immediately productive, it's like, where was the disconnect? Somewhere in, in Porter Moser and his staff's evaluation of his practice results? Or did he literally flip a switch and say, I'm not a practice player. We're talking about practice. I'm a gamer. Uh, I don't know. And it's just, it's too bad because I thought this was a kid. Every time you see him play, you're like, where's that been? He's a, he's a kid that athletically can help this team. Just wasn't able to consistently produce. Yeah, I, I think that it was it was the practice point that Josh brought up, but also like defense, right? That was the other thing that Porter always honed in on. That I think that was his frustration. If you don't practice the defense at game speed, then you're not going to pick it up. And frankly, when he got his uptick in minutes late in the season, I don't think that was that Joe Bamisil had done any different. I think that was that Oklahoma's season had cratered, and Porter Moser was like, shoot, guys. I'm searching for problems on the bench, right? Because it came after a couple of the blowouts and Porter before that had said the, I'm not panicked. I'm not changing anything. We're losing close games and the blowouts happen. And the first couple of minutes, every single time, Joe Bamisil is getting torched defensively. So like, yes, he was in passing lanes, things like that. But I think that it was the, I'm going to give you a small run of games to show me that I was wrong. And while he did bring some offensive punch, things like that, he wasn't doing what Porter wanted him to do defensively. And so that's not going to ever fly under Porter. So, like, it becomes a hard conversation. Because when you look at every single transfer individually, you're like, yeah, that makes a lot of sense when you think of the context. The issue is that now you've got four guys transferring plus Tanner Groves. That's five roster spots that have to turn over once again after Porter Moser turned over a ton of roster spots last offseason. So at some point, and I get it with the 
Nolan and Cortez, they weren't Porter's recruits. Schroeder might not really classify as Porter's recruit either with David Patrick, stuff like that. At some point, something that wasn't perfect and copacetic from the start has to work for Porter Moser because this is not sustainable to continue to turn over this much roster space if you're not going to hit in the portal and Porter Moser still hasn't hit in the portal. I remember whenever they got Bam Seal committed and I when I pulled up some of his George Washington highlights and he was just yamming on people and it was like this is exactly what they need and it just it never never worked out at all. Wish him the best obviously. He was we didn't get to talk to him that much, but he was a joy. He was great to talk to. He had a great personality, things like that. It just didn't, uh, for whatever reason, it didn't work out. So to rearticulate the point I made last week, talking about Bijan Cortez, y- you have to clear out spots, you know, and the four guys who transferred who I listed a minute ago, they started a combined one game in conference play. Uh, and that was Bijan against West Virginia in Morgantown. They lost that game by a million. So, you got to clear out spots. I mean, nobody wants to see a bunch of guys just leave, but you need spots. And like Brian said, that's four guys who transferred plus Tanner Gross. That's five scholarships available. You gave one to Sam Godwin. They moved him from walk-on to scholarship. And then you have Caden Cooper and Jacob Cole coming in. So you still have a couple spots there to play around with to try and improve your roster. And that's without knowing what's going on with Jalen Hill or Grant Sherfield. I'm very surprised we haven't heard anything from those guys Either way, I mean, the season has been over for a while for, for Oklahoma. So big question there is uh, Jalen Hill or, or Grant Sherfield coming back. That's what we're waiting on, which, by the way, I had like a nightmare last night that OU was playing another game uh, at home. I legitimately <laughs> did. I had a nightmare that I got an email that they were playing a game at the Lloyd Noble Center. And I did, <laughs> I can picture looking at my phone of doing a massive double take that it said like Lloyd Noble Center Thursday at seven or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> thought you guys would enjoy that. Um, Just so you guys know, sports <laughs> writers and broadcasters, we have nightmares about getting emails about another damn basketball game. That's 100% true. Well, I, I was like, what tournament even is this? Are they <laughs> um, you wanted to know the emotional damage that Oklahoma basketball put on not just the fan base, but the people that were had to physically go to every game? That's what happened. <laughs> Brutal. Scored for life. <laughs> Might we'll, need some uh, counseling, Josh. Yeah. Gonna stick with me for a while. We'll see. Uh, just waiting on Jalen Hill and Grant Shurfield. That's the biggest questions right now. Waiting on those two guys. And, uh, and I those mean, guys to an extent, the on... freshmen too, but you kind of assume that they're back. If yeah. You don't hear anything, you know, but well, those Jaylen guys Shurfield, aren't. Yeah. They're not making any decisions yet because they're waiting on teams that <clears throat> may be playing right now. In the final, sure. not necessarily the final four, but the tournament just got over for a lot of teams uh, sure. last weekend. So there, you know, there's going to be people that are making decisions on other rosters. They have to figure out what what possibilities or opportunities they might have uh, looking to transfer if they're going to transfer or come back. So, and Porter Moser's been busy. Anytime you see one of those tweets that's like X player has heard from these schools and it's a big list, Oklahoma is on the list like every time <laughs> they are. They are making work in the phones right now. They're, they're trying to find some answers. So we'll see uh, how that goes. You imagine Oklahoma will start adding some guys uh, pretty soon. This season, obviously, wrapping up this weekend with the Final Four. All right, shifting over to Diamond Sports to wrap things up. Softball, I mean, Iowa State's not very good. They I, The first game was a little bit of a scare, I guess. I don't think anybody really thought they were going to lose that game, even though it was a little scoring. Then the doubleheader was a, uh, a massacre, um, obviously, for Oklahoma. 
Big one this weekend, I think, is what most people are looking ahead to. Obviously, Texas comes to town. Ryan, this is your account, obviously. Uh, but surmise the weekend there. Was that your dog or was that Hoove? I think that was Hooves. Scout <laughs> Scout is in the other room hanging out there on the couch. So. Uh, that was my dog. Yeah, sorry about that. Oh, you're good. You're good. It's amazing that uh, Rory hasn't barked like directly into my mic at some point uh, doing the show. Um, surmise the weekend for us, Ryan. Uh, obviously, uh, with Iowa State, and then uh, look ahead to Texas, uh, the big one that I think people are excited about. Yeah. Um, if you look at the scores outside of Friday, you might not think this, but I thought, frankly, OU played really bad this weekend. Um, the The second game on Saturday was a lot better. But they did all that damage pretty much in the first inning. It was much like the second game against Mississippi State where they got this really big lead and then there was no pressure. But I know that Patty Gasso won't have been happy with some of those at-bats, things like that. Uh, day one, that 3 nothing game, that's inexcusable. Iowa State is an awful softball team. Like, I'm sorry. They, I, I had listed it out. They are, you have to scroll to at least page four of the NCAA stats to get either their batting average or their ERA. And this has been an issue for Oklahoma. They've played up and down to their competition. You remember that UIC game before they played Kentucky? Then they came out and romped Kentucky, and it was 18 nothing against the Wildcats. It was one of the weirder press conferences I've been in because you could tell that Patty Yassa was still furious from that first game, but she couldn't really say anything about it because they had just beat a ranked Kentucky team. That's now like really moved up 18 to nothing. So she's like, what do you do? Uh, They had two just egregious fielding errors. One Jada Coleman misplays a ball off the outfield wall. And then the relay doesn't come in uh, where Grace Lyons can, can kind of corral it and rifle that home. That was run number one in game one on Saturday. Run number two was Sidney Sanders fumbling in a ball And then they gave up a home run to a senior who had had like five hits in her entire career, and it was a solo shot. That's bad. I don't care that it's 13 to three. I know that Patty Gasso won't have been happy with that. She, you could hear it if you listen to the pregame with Chris Plank, that she basically was like, yeah, everything that happened on Friday was bad, and they have to respond on Saturday. So uh, it was an interesting environment, free admission to see softball in Ames and they had like 1800 people packed in like on the dugouts, like all that stuff. So it was a different environment, but that was bad softball being played against a bad softball team. That just shows that OU's that good. Um, the good news is they often play up to their opponents. So I'm expecting them to come out and like dominate Texas. Cause that's what they've done. They've played up and down pretty much all year long. Ryan, uh, Talking to Patrick yesterday about uh, the crowd that was in Ames, uh, he said it was funny because they were kind of bragging about, "Wow, look at this crowd we got!" You know, yeah, it's your your crowd's last chance ever to see Oklahoma play at the in, in Ames is what that is. So, uh, <laughs> last week at this time, we were talking about. I think I heard a weather report, and it was like, "Sooner fans, if you're going to the Iowa State game, you better bundle up because it's going to be chilly." In the back of my mind, I'm thinking, "No." Sooner fans that are going to travel to that game. I was wrong. I was 100% wrong. Sooner fans traveled to Iowa State and bared the cold weather to watch their team play, like you said, three mostly mediocre games. Um, and and here's the deal. We're not knocking the, the, the girls for their level of whatever. It's got to be damn tough to stay at your best, to stay at that peak, and imagine what Patty's having to go through as a coach where 
they're so much better than everybody they play. And you're having to you're having to keep find ways to keep them engaged in a three game series at Iowa State. How are you supposed to keep them engaged for for three games in Ames, Iowa, when you know what the outcome is going to be? They know what the outcome is going to be. So that so it's hard to be perfect. The booted ball, the home runs that, that were given up. You look at it and you say, "What the heck?" But that is a buy. That is a buy direct byproduct. A direct byproduct of, eh, we got this game. It's it's not going to be that. Big. We got Texas next week. Big series against Texas. In as an athlete, in your mind, you're having to fight these battles, and it's not anything. It's not anybody's fault. There's no criticism for it. It's just that's the way. That's the level that this team has played at, and has reached as a program. Yeah, they're like this is not a. They're going to be just fine. Like I said, I expect them to batter Texas this weekend. Texas was not very impressive against a kind of boomer bust Texas Tech team. They beat them in all three games, but Tech's not as bad as they have been. But uh, I still don't count them as like tough competition. That's not a play with your food situation. And yeah, it, I think it's just disappointing from the from the standpoint of we came out of the Hall of Fame Classic where. Um, after Sunday, Patty Gasso's kind of takeaway was she really felt like the team has turned the corner and is really starting to find their groove. And that that's just not the performance I expected across three games from Ames for a team that's really finding their groove. I, I think it's exactly what you're saying, Hoove. It, it was a zoo. It was a circus. Uh, Jordy Ball had a lot of fans there, things like that, you, you know, coming over from Nebraska, things like I, I just think it was – on the balance, those three games, they're not three games that Patagas was going to turn back to and say, yep, we played great softball here. And that doesn't mean that they're not going to just motor through Texas, which I think is exactly what's going to happen this weekend. Doesn't mean they're not going to win a third straight national title or anything like that. Just not the best weekend. And Patagas said on Friday, the Hall of Fame Classic, the mark of championship teams is that you can win when you play poorly. And I think that they breezed through that first game on Saturday not playing their best. They certainly didn't play well on Friday and won, and you never felt like they were in danger of losing that thing. Here's what's interesting. They've reached as a as an athletic team, as a competitive sport, right? They've reached this level of UConn women's basketball. And Gino Oriema used to say when they didn't beat somebody by 35, you know, on a nightly basis, no matter who it was, he'd come into the press conference and say, yeah, we played like crap. You know, we only <laughs> yeah. won by 16 tonight. Well, you played the number four team in the country and you only won by 16, maybe on the road. What do you mean you played like crap? Oh, we did. We didn't do a lot of the things that we're supposed to be doing. We didn't take care of a lot of the small things. I think that's where Oklahoma is softball wise right now. They're just that much better, literally, than everybody they play. And Patty's having to fight that, uh, that, that battle, that mental battle, that psychological battle of knowing you're better than everybody else and still doing the things that made you this great to begin with still going back and doing all those fundamentals, all those uh, first step type actions. If you don't do those things, you don't play your best. You might still beat that team 13 to three, but you're not playing your best. And that's where Patty's standard and level has reached is like, we've got to play our best. Yeah. On the upside, Grace Lions, Terry Jennings were awesome. So I expect them to have big offensive weekends against Texas. Yeah, and how many people have uh, has that sold out? First game sold out in Oklahoma City, right? And of yeah. course, the the whole season sold out at Marina Hines. Those last two games. Yeah, the best estimate is the so it's the in infield portion of Hall of Fame, lower deck and upper deck, which is approximately eighty eight hundred. Um, that can fluctuate depending on just 
uh, it won't be much larger or smaller than that. Just, you know, how attendance works. And, and that Friday game will set the record for the highest attended regular season game in the history of the sport. So you better believe that we'll be talking with that, with uh, Patty Gasser and crew on Wednesday. And that's uh I'll be there Friday to kind of set the scene for, for what that's going to be like as it's a rematch of the national championship game. Yeah, I was to say, Texas get a little PTSD walking back in there, a little scene of the crime um, from, from last year's national championship series, which Oklahoma won, obviously uh, going away. Yeah, who, I, I, my main impression of Gina Oriema is, yeah, UConn winning a game by like 25 to go to 28-0 and him just sitting in there and be like, we blow. We're not going to win anything <laughs> Like that, that's my entire impression of Gino Oriama. So, yeah, that might be Patty soon. She might have to just step in there and be like, We suck, even though they're just killing everybody. Whatever you got to do, whatever you got to do. What was their record last year? Were the Ryan 34 and 0? Yeah, they ran, I think they ran up to 33 before they 33. lost to Texas. And then the year before, it was what, 38 when they lost to Georgia? The, uh, we had Patty on, um, my radio show and she was like, yeah, we're, we're playing at a level of about six out of 10 right now. And they were like 31 <laughs> and 0. 31 and 0 and have run ruled like 28 of those teams. And we're playing about a six out of 10. I was just like, what, what? So, yeah. All right. Shifting over to some baseball to wrap things up. Got to use some nuance here with the conversation with baseball. I want to preface everything by saying the season is not over. Very far from it. Um, they're probably going to be fine. Are you uh, going to go through some basketball PTSD here? Uh, between football and basketball, I really I need some. I need to see some winning, just for my psyche. Um, go to softball. Yeah, I guess. Um, rough weekend, obviously for the for baseball team uh, in Manhattan. I mean, no no secret, right? I mean, this is again going to use some nuance here. It's not season over. Nothing like that. Don't overreact to one weekend. But you can also acknowledge that the weekend was rough. Uh, I think Oklahoma would tell you that themselves. Um, you just removing the fact that Kansas State is not Kansas State's probably one of the two or three worst teams in the conference, if not the worst. We'll see how the season bears out. Obviously, they're off to a decent start, four and two after they swept OU in conference play. But um, you get swept in Manhattan after your great TCU series win, where you had all this momentum. And they, they're coached by Pete Hughes. I mean, let's acknowledge the obvious. I mean, it's it's Pete Hughes. It's former OU coach who is very lowly thought of by OU fans. Uh, OU fans can't stand him, and he swept OU, and that that's tough. Um, that's a tough one to stomach if you're Oklahoma. They played through just a dumping rain on Friday, which was insane. I don't know why Kansas State let that happen. I don't know who makes that decision, if that's Kansas State or the umpires or what, but it was a monsoon. Nobody from OU could throw a strike. It was it was bad. Um, and then over the weekend, they had the offense came around. They scored plenty of runs on Saturday and Sunday to win, but they the bullpen is is not is not performing right now. They let a four run lead get away in the eighth inning on Sunday. Really, that was the toughest one of all. Because if you win on Sunday, you salvage the weekend, you throw away Friday with the weather. You're kind of like, all right, whatever. But yeah, to let the lead get away on Sunday definitely hurt. So we'll see how they bounce back. That's going to be the key is how they respond from it. They got Wichita State tonight, another road game, and then they come home for a huge four-game series against Stanford. I mean, you want to talk about trying to turn the corner and, and respond? Who Stanford was in Omaha with us last year. That's a really good program. That's a top-10 team. 
first top 10 team to come to Norman in the non-conference in over a decade. You got a chance to totally wipe away that K-State series with a with a good weekend here, but uh, obviously tough, tough times in Manhattan over the weekend. Yeah, so that's a that's a lot of that's a lot on one team um, to turn that thing around, and in, especially in the middle of conference play, you've started your conference action now. Mm-hmm. You've proven you go on the road and your bullpen for the second, basically second week in a row, your bullpen has crapped the bed. Um, no better way to say it, I don't think. It's just it's a tough pill to swallow, and then the schedule only gets harder from here. So. Uh, I'm not going to say it, Josh. I'm not going to say it, but uh, <laughs> we got uh, we got we got called out publicly for saying it last year. I don't I don't really feel the need to say it this year. The team is is struggling right now. They need to to get some things straight. Yeah, on the bright side, at least it was a scenario where again they were able to kind of work their way back into a couple of those games offensively. Um, so, so that's good. I suppose that that's kind of coming online, but got to put it all together here. And it, it was a couple series last year before they really put that thing together and got it rolling. Maybe a good performance against Stanford is all they need to kind of kickstart that because, uh, from the glimpses I saw, and it was the late going of all three of those games. I just didn't see like a lot of confidence on the mound specifically, as far as just like pitchers that, that yeah. felt like, Hey, I'm going to go up here and I'm going to get outs. And uh, what's the best way to do that is to you've got a no pressure situation to put in some good results against Stanford. I thought they turned the corner, opening you know taking two out of three in their first conference series. Uh, TCU was it, and then um, yeah. yeah, you go on the road and get swept. Yeah, I, like I said, I would them. recommend that people don't stick a fork in them. Not just yet. Learn from last year. Learn um, because, like we like I said, I mean. Like who just said, they took two or three from TCU, who is better than Kansas State. They won two or three in Frisco against teams that are probably better than Kansas State. They swept Houston in Houston, smoked them. So, I mean, they've had good results. They've been playing really well before this last week. It's a rough week, but sometimes that happens in baseball. It's how they're going to respond moving forward is the question. But it is fair to wonder right now the bullpen situation because you had Trevin Michael, who was so great, just locking down games. In a big game, you give him the ball in the seventh, and say, go finish it, and he would every time, basically. Um, they don't really have that right now. Now, that could develop. that Somebody could emerge, but they don't have that right now. So it's quite, it's it's fair to be a little worried about that. The offense is fine. They scored plenty of runs this weekend. Um, they're a little banged up right now. Dakota Harris is out. Obviously, we all, we've talked about before how good he had been. He's out right now. They're hoping to get him back soon. So give it a little bit of time. A little bit of time. Uh, and we'll see how things stack up. And, you know, we could be feeling a lot different. We do next week's show if they go in three out of four against Stanford. It's going to feel a lot different. You know what I mean? So we'll uh, we'll reevaluate as we go along. All right. Any last things before we uh, sign off? Uh, women's gymnastics starts NCAA regionals this week. Regional, um, regional yeah. at Norman is uh, starts Wednesday. First round is Wednesday. And then OU uh, and their side of the bracket goes on Thursday night. Get this. You've got number one, Oklahoma, number eight, Alabama, number nine, Kentucky, number 22, Illinois, number 25, Iowa, number 17, Arkansas, number 16, Ohio State. This regional is packed. It'll be an upset if Oklahoma doesn't dominate. But at the same time, <laughs> it's um, that's where K.J. Kendler's got their her program. 
But uh, at the same time, it's a competition. It's an NCAA competition in Norman, so it should be fun. Get that thing rolling up again. You mentioned uh, what's happened with us and Skip. I just I just have uh, like secondary PTSD from what happened when KJ and the crew won their natty last year, and she comes into the post game press conference with the the preseason like you don't have to worry about Oklahoma winning a natty this year. I'm just like I hands off that one. It's that that is the uh, no reason to doubt unless it doesn't happen. What a big weekend of sports in Norman between softball having Texas in town, baseball having Stanford in town, and then yeah, that all that gymnastics talent um, in in town as well. So uh, you got your you're covered. If you just want to be entertained in Norman this weekend, you're covered. There's lots going on. So uh, hopefully weather looks nice for uh, for everyone and have a nice big loaded weekend. All Sooners will have you covered for all of it, packed stuff, and plus more spring football coming up, and uh, obviously that never stops. All the latest with the basketball transfer portal. All that good stuff. We'll be back next week to wrap it all up, recap it all next Wednesday. You can catch that show on iTunes, Spotify, Google, iHeart, wherever you get your podcast. If you have an Amazon-able device, just say, Alexa, play the All Sooners podcast. Also, post on our website, allsooners.com. Click on the playlist on your phone, your tablet, or your computer. You can watch all the shows as well on Hoove's YouTube page, John Hoover Media. Make sure to subscribe and like and comment, all that good stuff as well over there. All right, I think that's it for us. We'll be back next week. For Ryan Chapman and John Hoover, I'm Josh Calloway. We'll see you then.